Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. People may have forsaken me, but God has never forsaken me. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. I was glad when they said unto me, let us be in the house of the Lord. And I'm so, so grateful to see all of y'all today. How about y'all point to your neighbor and say, I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to see you. Y'all look so good. Y'all came out in the rain to mess with us. Can y'all do me one favor? Can y'all do me one favor? We got the overflow room really, really packed over there. So can y'all make some noise for the overflow room? We just want to say we love y'all. We love y'all. We thank y'all for hanging out with us. I was just in there a little bit for meet and greet and is really crazy in there. I thought the rain was going to stop them, but they still showed up anyway, y'all. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? God is really increasing his church, and I don't want to delay. Y'all can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. That's where we're going to be studying today. Matthew chapter 12. My name is Caleb, and I have the privilege of being an elder of this house, um, the real angel of this house, Pastor Brandon Watts, is away. But can we make some noise for our pastor while he's away as he has a, another assignment? But even though the angel of this house isn't here, he left his angel behind, Lady Ty. Can we make some noise for our, for our first lady, Lady Ty? Thank you for being here with us. You know, if the church is standing here today it's because Lady Ty is holding it up. You, know, you guys don't know all the work that she puts in behind the scenes to make sure everything runs. And so I just want to say from me to everyone, we're just grateful for you, Lady Ty. We really are grateful for you, y'all. We're grateful for you. I also want to give a special shout out to Warner Miller for doing an excellent job on Bible Study Wednesday. I'm not sure. Such an excellent, excellent job on teaching us the importance of Christian apologetics. I really suggest that if you missed it to watch it online and I really want to encourage you guys to please I know we love coming to Sunday morning and even sometimes worship services but we want to show love to the Bible study even the prayer nights because we're not throwing events just to keep you entertained we're trying to throw these things to keep your soul filled you know we have so many things throughout the week that tries to diminish our soul we need to do some work to kind of bring it back up and I think that this text today really shows us the importance of why we don't need to just be only saved, but we need to be filled. I really hope that this text will to shed some light. So are you guys at Matthew chapter 12 with me? If you're there, say, I got it. All right, y'all. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I really struggled with, with this passage. My wife and I was really wrestling through it all week. And I was like, man, I'm not sure if I should preach this. But when I took the oath to be an elder, I made the oath saying that I was going to preach the totality of the word. And that includes this passage today. So if y'all there, we're going to start at Matthew 12, verse 43. Verse 43. It should be on the screen, but jump at me at verse 43. It reads like this. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put it in order. Then he goes and takes with them seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Good God. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. 
so shall it be with this wicked generation. Now, honestly, I really feel this word is more gloomy than the weather outside. (laughs) I'm being honest, but I don't know if you guys noticed, but throughout this entire month, we've been really exploring a series of questions. Pastor B opened up the month by teaching from the word, what are you chasing after from Matthew 13? He then taught a phenomenal sermon series on who are you? And today, I want us to explore the question, why can't I change? Why can't I change? Every head bowed, all eyes closed. Father God, we're we're thankful for your spirit. We're thankful for your spirit that lives, that is alive and well, but we're thankful, Lord, that not only does your spirit work, but it also speaks. So Father, I ask, Lord, that as you're speaking to your people, give us humble ears to listen. Lord, touch, Lord, our hearts right now so it can be tender ground so that your word can find good soil to grow in. Father, I pray that you hide me in this moment. Hide me in this moment so that my personality or my illustrations don't hide people from your presence. Lord, even right now, I need your presence right now. For the gospel can only save if your your spirit is behind it. So, Father, I ask your spirit to come and let's let all of us leave in all of your wonder and your glory. We say this on Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Why can't I change? It was the year 2006 when one of the greatest cinematic films would be released. You see, this film would be one of great renown and great prestige. It was a film that would be critically acclaimed throughout the entire industry, adorning itself with all kinds of awards, all kinds of accolades. It was a film that was able to capture the hearts of all America. From grown adults to young children, this piece of art had a way of making us feel that we were all in this together. You see, this film was Disney's High School Musical. You see, now, this isn't to be confused with the cheap knockoff brand Camp Rock or Lemonade Mouth, but High School Musical would be one of Disney's greatest releases of all time. Now, before, before I'm glad that y'all agree, I'm glad, but be, before I go into High School Musical, I really, I gotta give an honorable mention to the Cheetah Girls, especially Cheetah Girls when I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Y'all know, y'all, y'all know Cheetah Girls is a classic. It's a classic. We're Cheetah's sisters. We stand together. We make up one big family, but we don't look the same. Our stripes are different, different colors. We make each other. Y'all know it. Y'all know it. Y'all, y'all know it. Y'all know it. But and the thing is that, but High School Musical and Cheetah, it's kind of like a 1A and 1B kind of thing. I feel like High School Musical just barely, I'm talking, just barely edges itself. I, I know, but I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why, because I just feel like from the classic songs, all the songs were soaring, were flying, the great cast, it was really, every, the movie was hidden on all cylinders. It was all cylinders. Now, if your childhood was depressing and you didn't have the privilege to grow up with this movie, you're in luck today, because I'm going to give you a synopsis. Now, for those of you guys who don't know, the movie opens up with introducing us to the main character, Troy Bolton. Now, we find Troy Bolton stumbling into a karaoke night on New Year's Eve. And when he arrives to this event, he's infatuated with a girl named Gabriella. 
And as fate would have it, Gabriella, I know, you're the word. I'm going to walk through it. I'm going to walk through it. Now, as faith would have it, Gabrielle and Troy will get paired to sing a duet together. Now, unbeknownst to the audience, this introduces the first conflict of the film. Because Troy isn't a singer. He's never sung before. He really doesn't want to sing at all. But the circumstances kind of force his hand. So they get paired together and they begin singing the song, It's a Start of Something New. Don't y'all love that song? Now, now and, and, and Troy loves the song too because as he's singing the song, something starts happening to Troy. The more he sings it, the more he discovers a newfound passion, the more he starts to unravel a piece of himself he didn't know existed. For a lack of better words, something new starts to happen to Troy. A change starts to happen. Now, you guys got to follow me because when Troy returns to school, his friends are not that excited about this newfound change. Because what I failed to mention is that Troy is a basketball star. He's the captain of the basketball team. And like any high school musical, athletes don't sing. Athletes are not a part of the school drama club. So in an attempt to discourage Troy from changing any further, the entire basketball team gathers up to the cafeteria. And they're pleading with him. They're pleading with him saying, no, 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 no. Stick to the stuff you know. Y'all know. If you want to be cool, follow one simple rule. Don't mess with the flow. No, no, oh. Come on. Y'all know it. Y'all know it. It says, stick to the status. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And see, and this is truly the conflict of the movie. Because the entire premise of the movie is really exploring the tension of change. It's exploring the drama of change. Because even though you might want to change, even though a change might be happening to you, there are sometimes people around you who want to keep you to the status quo. And I want to argue today, I want to suggest that Jesus is trying to teach us the same thing, y'all. You see, Jesus is trying to teach us that all of us here can acknowledge there's one thing in our life we want to change. There's one thing in our heart that we wish for it to be different. But Jesus is trying to shed light that even though you want to change, even though a change might be happening in you, there are spiritual forces around you invested in your downfall. I'm I'm trying to tell you, there are spiritual forces trying to keep you to the status quo. And, And I want to show us, I think the passage today not only shows us the obstacles against change, but shows us the agent of true change. Now, When we arrive to this passage today, we come to Matthew 12, and we get introduced to an unclean spirit. And for some reason, this unclean spirit decides to pack its bags and leave. We don't know why this unclean spirit decides to leave. Maybe it's living in Brooklyn. Maybe it got its lease renewal. Maybe inflation hit the rent, and it's like, you know what? I refuse to pay $4,000 for 700 square feet and half a bathroom. So so like any reasonable person, the the spirit's like, you know what, I'm going to pack my bags and go. I'm going to see if I can get more bank for my buck. So the spirit, the passage um, shows us that the spirit's starting to venture out, finding a new place to stay. And after a while, it must have stumbled upon the Bronx. Because uh, the Bible clearly says, the Bible says that it stumbled upon dry, dirty, waterless places. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that sounds like. Am I... I feel like we're reading the same thing. Does your Bible say the same thing? Does your Bible say the same thing? And so, so, so even the unclean spirit's like, you know what, even, even I can't live in the Bronx. Even I can't live in the Bronx. So the spirit decides, you know what, I'm going to head back to my old town. I'm going to head back to my old hood. 
And when it returns back to its town, it's shocked by what it sees. Because it seems like there's been some gentrification happening in the neighborhood. The bodegas have been switched with coffee shops. The deli is now a Trader Joe's. They got a Target down the street. They even got a Whole Foods downtown. Now, you know you're being gentrified when you got a Whole Foods. And so, so the spirit is really enamored by all these new things, all these new things around it. And it's getting to its old block, and it's trying to find its old home, and it starts to get confused. Because it's, it's like, dang, where, where is my old building? Where is my old home? You see... The thing about it is that this building was so brand new. It was so redone that the only thing that was the same about this building was the address number on the top. So when the spirit finally finds it, he's looking at all the work done. He's asking himself like, dang, I wonder who's moved in. I wonder who's living in there now. So the spirit decides to hang back. He's like, you know what? Let me see if I can catch the owner walking in. Maybe let me see if I can catch the new owner. And after a while, after waiting and waiting and waiting, no one shows up. So he concludes to himself, he's like, maybe they're already inside. Maybe they're already living on the inside. So they go to the, he goes to the um, door, and right before he rings the doorbell, a thought comes to his mind. He's thinking like, I wonder if my building code still works. I wonder if I still have access to this building. So he puts the code in the building, and lo and behold, the door opens. Now, Allende, this spirit is no fool. The spirit is thinking, it's like, no, no. There has to be some security system on the inside. No one would go through all the trouble of renovating this place without putting an alarm system to defend itself. So, so the spirit is thinking, like, you know what? Let me call up my homies. Let me call up some of my demon friends, some people who are a little more wicked, more brolic than myself. And so he's calling them, he's saying, and he's telling them the situation. And he's like, yo, if you guys help me take my house back, I'll actually let you live there with me. So, so the spirits are just like, okay, bet, well, let's do it. So they're preparing themselves for a fight. They're preparing themselves for the battle. So they go to the house, knock down the front door, only to discover no one's living on the inside. The house is brand spanking new, but no one is here to defend its new changes. Good God. And Jesus concludes the passage, concludes the parable by saying, the last state of the man is worse than the first, and so shall it be with this wicked generation. Now, I hope y'all follow me because I'm basically done with my sermon now. Because, because Jesus is really, he's talking, for context's sake, I have to tell you, he's talking to the Pharisees here. He's been talking to the Pharisees for the entire chapter. He's been arguing with them about the Sabbath, arguing with them about spirits, arguing with them about signs. And now we come to this passage. And even though Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, I think the message applies to all of us. Because Jesus is talking directly to the religious spirit in the church. And he's saying, you know what? You've done a good job cleaning yourself up. You've done a good job getting buildings, building lights, building stages, and some of y'all have done better than others. Some of y'all have been keeping your New Year's resolution by coming to church every day. Some of y'all have been keeping, actually started therapy. You even stopped cussing like you used to. You even stopped smoking the way you wanted to. And Jesus is looking at everything you're doing. He's like, you know what? You're doing a great job. You're doing a phenomenal job. But you got one problem. You don't got me on the inside. You don't got me on the inside. And as long as you don't have me or my Holy Spirit on the inside, someone else will take its place. <laughs> Good God. 
Good God. Someone else will take its place. You see, what Jesus is trying to show us, he's trying to show us how we can be in this new season suffering from the same problem. Because some of us have tried to fix this problem on our own. We thought that getting a new job would fix the problem. We thought that maybe moving to a new city could fix the problem. Some of you thought maybe getting a new spouse could fix the problem. And so you, you do all these man-made situations, and to your credit, it's been working out for a little bit. It's been actually helping you get better. But after some time, you found some cracks in the foundation. You found some leaking in the faulty plumbing. And Jesus is trying to show us where true, long-lasting change comes from. Because for too many years, all of us have been asking, why can't I change? Why am I crying the same tears year after year? Why am I hitting the same wall no matter what I do? And I think the text provides us some answers. Now, I'm going to be clear. I don't think you guys are going to like this tie. I don't think this is going to be posted on social media. But I think Jesus is trying to show us that the number one reason you can't change is because sin won't let you go. (laughs) Oh, God. Now, notice I'm not saying that you won't let sin go. I'm saying that sin won't let you go. Now, let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you because let's go to the passage. Look what it says at verse 43 and verse 44. The Bible says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, look at this, I will return to my house. (laughs) Now, I want you to see the gall of this spirit. The spirit has already moved out. He doesn't even live there anymore, but he still feels the entitlement to claim this house as his own. I want you to see the possessive nature of the spirit. See the entitlement of the spirit because the personality of the spirit really is reflective of the personality of sin. You see, you don't realize that sin don't like paying rent. It doesn't like being attended. It doesn't believe in paying for somebody else's mortgage. So when sin wants to live somewhere, it likes to own where it lives. It likes to claim ownership over its territory. And this is really important because a lot of us think that we can play with sin with no consequences. A lot of us think we can dibble and dabble in things that we know we shouldn't be a part of. And we try to say, you know what, it's not affecting anybody. It's not hurting anybody. But if this passage is true, if the text today is true, that means that you're not playing with sin. Sin might be playing with you. You see, I know we're not going to like to hear it. I know you aren't going to like to hear it because some of us like to play with porn from time to time. We like to linger on photos just a little longer than we should. And we keep playing and playing and playing, not realizing that you're allowing a perverse spirit to have access to your mind, to have access over your marriage, to have access over your future children. And you keep playing and the spirit has stepped into the territory of your mind and say, you know what? This is my house now. Some of us like playing with certain people. I I know it don't happen here. I know it don't happen here. But, you know, some people actually have a person that they can text when they want. Someone whose DMs are a little open after hours. Someone who can give them some entertainment when they're a little bored. And they keep playing and we keep playing and playing. And you wonder why you're sleepless at night. You wonder why you have no peace in your home. You wonder why you're restless in your spirit. Because when sin gets a hold of you, it doesn't want to let you go. 
You see, and sin, if you allow sin to work in you for too long, it will actually start shaping your mind and clouding your judgment. And sin can be so convincing. It can be so enticing. It can be so alluring that you'll actually start identifying with it. (laughs) You'll start identifying with the lies. You'll start identifying with the brokenness. And some of us have sat in the lies for so long, we don't know ourselves outside of pain. We don't know ourselves outside of toxicity. We actually think healthy things are toxic for us. All because, all because we've been assigning things to our identity that God never assigned. See, I'm I'm coming to speak about it today. I really want to speak about it today because this is why we can find ourselves struggling with the same thing year after year after year. You can find yourself struggling with the same problem because this is why you can go seasons thinking you've moved past something, thinking that you moved past someone and find yourself stuck in the same place. Find yourself right back where you started. You see, you're asking yourself why you can't change, but Jesus is looking at the person who's stopping you from changing. Jesus is looking at the person who's trying to rob you from your God-given birthright. See, the reason why you can't change is because sin won't let you go. But not only is sin possessive, sin is also destructive. Let me walk through it. Let me walk through it, because y'all looking at me funny. I know you guys are looking at me funny. Look what it says in verse 44. Look what it says in verse 44. He said, the Spirit says, I will return to my house from which I came. Now watch this. And when he gets to the house, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. I want y'all to look. It says, it was empty, swept, and put in order. See, the fact that the house needed to be cleaned and put in order means that this spirit had spent time messing this house up. See, you don't need to clean something unless it was first dirty. You don't need to put something in order if it was, unless it was previously out of order. Now, you got to remember, this is a person we're talking about. This, is a per- this spirit had done such a work on this person's life that it left this person desolate, abandoned, and mistreated. And sin will do the same exact thing to you when given the opportunity. Now, I know you don't believe me. You guys think I'm a pastor in training, but look at John 1. Look at John 1, verses 14. Look at John 1, verses 14. Look at John 1, because the Bible makes it clear. It should be on the screen. It says it like this. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Watch. Let it finish. Let it finish. It says, then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, <laughs> brings forth death. Now, let me break this down. I'm a, little, I'm a little over time, a little short on time. Let me break this down because James is really trying to teach us that when, that when our wicked desires find the right opportunity, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has been nursed and fed, it produces death. Now, I want you to see the imagery here. I want you to see the imagery here because James is equating sin to a baby that needs to be fed. He's equating it to a baby that needs to be nurtured. He's almost insinuating that the same way you can grow in Christ, sin can actually grow in you. Sin can actually grow in you, but in order for it to grow, it needs to be fed by you. It needs to be nurtured by you. So in order to get its proper nutrients from you, sin starts to tempt you. It starts to entice you. It starts to tempt you with certain people. 
it starts to entice you with your jealousy. It starts to entice you with your pride. It starts to entice you with your envy. And it continues, it continues to entice you until you conform to it. This is why Paul will later say in Romans for, he says it like this, for I know that good does not dwell in me. That is in my flesh. For the willing is present with me. I want to do good, but the doing of good is not. I don't have the power to do good. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. Why are you doing this, Paul? Why are you doing this? But if I do the very thing I do not want, I no longer am the one doing it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, doesn't this sound familiar? Doesn't this sound exactly like the passage in Matthew 12? Because Paul is saying that the reason why I can't do good because there's something not good in me. There's something not good pulling me. There's something not good shaping me. I see, I'm trying to show y'all why you can't change. Because sin is trying to keep you the same. Sin is trying to keep you to the status quo. But I want to I tell you that even though sin might be enticing, you have to remember sin's sole mission in your life is to destroy you. It's to kill you. Now, I know by the time of this sermon, you're asking yourself, well, Caleb, if sin is so deadly, what am I supposed to do against it? But before I tell you what you need to do, I need to show you what you've already been doing. I need to show you why what you've already been doing hasn't been working. Look at verse 44 again. I need to show you verse 44 again because when the passage says he finds the house empty, swept, and clean. You see, whoever the owner of this house was tried to clean the house by himself. The owner decided, you know what, it's a new year, so it's time to be a new me. Let me do some New Year's cleaning. Let me empty out the house of all this junk. Let me empty out of all the nasty stuff that I don't need. Let me clear the house to create some room. And not only does the owner clean the house, the Bible says that the owner actually tries to put it in order. The, The word put it in order here comes from the Greek word cosmios. It's literally the same word we get cosmetics from. That means the owner didn't only try to clean, he he actually hired an interior designer. He actually hired a life coach to make the house more appealing. That means he traded in his pants and started wearing skirts. That means he stopped, he, he took off his earrings and the necklace and started covering up his tattoos. He started to cut off his dreads and start cutting his hair. Y'all might not have never been to a Pentecostal church before. Y'all never been to a Pentecostal. Let me say it like this. He got rid of his old friends and started joining small group. He ended his toxic relationships and started doing more devotionals. But even though he was doing all these things and all of these things, he still had one problem. No one was living on the inside. You see, Tim Keller would tell a story once. He tells a story about how he was a young pastor and a young man came to him for his aid. This young man came to him and said, you know what? There's no counselors in the vicinity and I need you to counsel me. I need you to help me. But for you to help me, I want your help, but please, 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 please don't talk to me about God, religion, or Jesus. I I just want your counsel. I just need you to help me. I don't want the religion. And so Tim, maybe being a young pastor, he was like, you know what? Let me see if I can do something. Let me see if I can help him. So Tim bought all the counseling and psychology, psychology books he could find, and he started doing sessions with this man. And once he started doing sessions 
one of the first things he noticed was that this man was a very physical person. He was a very active person. So Tim suggested, like, well, let's get you on an exercise program. Let's get you on a diet. Let's do something to help regulate your body day to day. The second thing Tim noticed was that this man was a very social person, but he was in an isolated season. So Tim was like, let me surround you with people who have shared life experiences, people that you can talk to, people that you can confide in, people that you can go to their home. The third thing that Tim noticed was that this man wasn't very organized. So he wasn't very disciplined. So Tim made a schedule of tasks for him to complete for the week and made him accountable to people so that he can make progress. So the man has been doing all the things Tim suggested. He, he did all the things that Tim um, prescribed. And by God's work, the man actually started getting better. He started actually making some progress. The treatment was actually working. But after a while, Tim would find that there was a bigger issue at hand. You see, this man came from an extremely successful family. He came from a family that was extremely talented, a family that had attained a large amounts of wealth, but this man wasn't doing as well professionally. He didn't have the same business acumen as his, as his family. He wasn't as educated as his family. And so this man felt the whole world on his shoulders because he wasn't as successful. He felt that he was in a constant state of failure because he was an imposter in his own family. And because of this feeling, this man will be susceptible to falling depressed every time one little thing went wrong. Every time one little thing didn't go his way. So Tim tried to continue the counseling session. He tried to continue to help this man. But after a while, Tim would go up to him and say, you, you know what, we've been doing all these things. But I think you need to hear that you're loved. I think you need to hear that you're forgiven. I think you need to hear that God accepts you. And I think a lot of us need to hear the same thing. Because if we're honest, a lot of us are not in bondage to a habitual sin. We're in bondage to other people's expectations of you. You're in bondage of other people's approval of you. And you've been demeaning yourself for so long because you're desperate to, for, to, to hear someone say, I'm proud of you. You're desperate for, to hear someone say, you're doing a good job. You're doing the right thing. Some of us are in bondage to our past mistakes. You recognize the wrongs you did in the past and you're trying to work yourself out of it. You're trying to work, work, and work as almost as if you're fighting a ghost because you're trying to prove to yourself and other people that you're a different person. You're trying to prove to everyone around you that you're worthy of forgiveness. And you're attaining all these things while carrying an empty soul. Because what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? And so the question we started the sermon with, why can't I change, is really a misleading one. It's really misleading because the truth of the matter is you don't have the power to change. You don't have the power to change yourself. Now, you can clean yourself up. You can make yourself look good. But only one man understood the cost of true change. Only one man understood the price of real change. And we've been asking ourselves, why can't I change? What do I need to do? But you need to ask yourself, who has the power to change me? 
Who is the author and finisher of my faith? Who is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, my light and my salvation? Who is this king of glory? The answer has been and always will be Yashuma Hamashiach, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Now, I know a few of you guys, you're not convinced. You're really not convinced because you're saying, well, Caleb, you were just talking about how powerful sin is. You were just talking about how possessive sin is. But let me tell you something. You see, Jesus is more possessive over you than sin can ever be. <laughs> let me say it like this. You see, Jesus is so possessive over you that he would say stuff like in John 10 where he said, my father has given all of my sheep to me and no witch, no sin, nor warlock can pluck them out of my hand. Jesus would be so possessive over you that he would later say, you know what, it's better for me to go because if I don't go, my Holy Spirit won't come in you and live inside of you. You see, Jesus is so possessive over you that he would walk the path of Golgotha. And the Bible says that for the joy set before him, he would endure the cross and die on a Friday. You see, Jesus is so possessive of you that there's no sin that you can do that can separate you from his hand. Because if we're being honest, a lot of us try to walk away from Jesus for, for a long time ago. A lot of us wanted to throw in the towel. A lot of us wanted to give up. A lot of us even tried to take our own life. But anytime we try to walk away, Jesus said, no, I'm keeping you in my peace. I'm keeping you in my protection. I'm keeping you in my joy. You don't know a love that's more possessive than Jesus. And I, and I know, I know I told you that sin is destructive, but how many know that Jesus has more destructive power than sin could ever have? <laughs> now, I know, I know we rejoice at the fact that Jesus has healing power. We even rejoice that Jesus has saving power, but you need Jesus to destroy some things too. You need him to destroy some cycles. You need him to destroy some strongholds. You need him to destroy some bondage. And Jesus has so much destructive power that when he died on a Friday, he would walk to the gates of hell on a Saturday. And we look at the devil and all his minions and say that upon this rock, no, <laughs> upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail over it. That no weapon formed against my children shall prosper. I want y'all to listen to me. I want y'all to listen to me. <laughs> I want y'all to listen to me. I'm telling you, Jesus got destructive power. Jesus will beat death so bad that Jesus will look back at death and say, death, where is your sting? And sin, where is your victory? You see, Jesus, the same Jesus that could destroy death, can destroy your shame. He can destroy your guilt. He destroyed the veil that was separating you from the heart of God. And I know, I know I told you that you don't have the power to save yourself. Good God. But there's only one man in history who had enough power to save himself. You see, Jesus had enough power that when he died on a sat, that when he beat death on a Saturday, that he still had enough power to raise himself from the grave early Sunday morning. And when he raised himself to the grave, he would ascend to the right hand of the father. And when Jesus saw his daddy, he was like, you know what, Pops? I got too much power to keep to myself. I got too much power to give to myself. Let me give it to my children below. Let me, you see, and Jesus will be so selfless. He will be so selfless. Jesus doesn't give you a portion of his power. He doesn't even give you a variant of his power. But Romans 8 said that the same power, good God, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that's working inside. Oh, God, good God, good God. I'm trying to, I want to tell somebody, it's working inside of you. It's working inside of you. It's the power to stomp on the devil. Head. It's the power to cast out demons. It's the power to heal the sick. I want to tell y'all, Jesus doesn't even give you the power to change what you do. He changed what you want to do. Oh, good God. Good God. 
He'll change what you want to do. He'll make you want to read your Bible. He'll make you want to love your husband. He'll make you want to love your wife. He'll make you want to be patient. He'll take the addiction out of your mouth. He'll get the lust out of your heart. Jesus got the power to change you from the inside out. Good God. Jesus got the power to change. Good God. He got the power to change. How good God. He got the power to Y'all about to get me riled up. Y'all about to get me riled up in here. God said he got the power to change you. He got the power to change you. You ought to point to your neighbor and say, he can change me. 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 He can change. Good God. Good God. And Jesus, you see, you see, all of us have been asking, why can't I change? But you really need to ask God, Jesus, come into my heart and change me. Change my family. Change my heart. Change my mind. Change my children. Change my finances. God, you, we need him to change us. You see, you see, I should have really opened this way. I should have opened the sermon like this, but this sermon has one point and one point only. See, the key to long-lasting change is that you got to let Jesus be the man of the house. (laughs) Every head bowed, all eyes closed. Every head bowed, all eyes closed. Good God. Lord, we come before you and we thank you. God, we just want to give you praise. We want to sing, Lord, your praises right now because who else has this everlasting, eternal, life-changing, transformative power? Who else can I go to, Father, to, to run in and be safe? God, I tried running to other people. I tried running to other substances. I tried running to other places, but no one was as sweet and kind to me as you. So, Father, right now, I want to come against the lie. I want to come against the lie that people feel, Lord, they're not worthy to be changed. I want to come against the lie thinking people, telling people that they can never change, that they always have to be the same, that they always have to stay the same. God, I pray, Lord, that your your Holy Spirit would touch them even now. Touch them even now and change their heart, change their mind. God, some people are scared to go home even right now because they don't know what will meet them. But God, can you meet them right now? God, can your spirit meet them right now and encounter them? God, we need you to change us, Father. We tried to change ourselves on our own, God, but nothing else worked, God. We need you to do a holy renovation. We need you to take this heart of stone and replace it, God, with the heart of flesh, Father. Let our heart be malleable to your word, Father. We pray, God, Lord, that you give us a discerning spirit, God, to let us understand what has been residing in us. What has taken your place? What has filled up our space, God? And we come before you, empty it all on the cross. We bring it before you, God, because we know you only have the power. Only you, God, have the power to change. God, I pray, God, for a spirit of surrenderance today. That as people hear your voice, God, let them not harden their hearts to it. Let us submit, Lord, to your to your lordship. God, we put our lives back in your hands. We say this all in Jesus' name we pray.